Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. I want you to know that you can call this place home if you want to. You can just relax here, kick off your shoes here. Just you can belong here because if you're here and you're just looking for a community of people who have just got your best interests at heart, then you just found it. So welcome home if that is you. Hey, you know, who's enjoyed this series of God is so far? Like I have loved this series, learning all about the different names of God and all about his character because there is so much in the name of God. Like there is so much goodness in there that we ought to know about. We've talked about how God is Jehovah Nissi. He's our banner. We've talked about how God is Jehovah Shalom. He's our peace. We've talked about how God is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. And today I get to wrap up this series by bringing you the last part of the God is series. And I'm going to introduce my name of God in just a short while. But you know, all these names, all the names of God are written in the Bible. They're all in there to teach us about and reveal to us the character and the nature and the heart of God towards us. Because if we really want to know God, if we want to know him more, and I'm guessing that you do because you're here in church, right? So you're halfway there. You wouldn't have come if you weren't interested. But if we really want to know him, then it would benefit us greatly to learn these names because this is who God is to us. This is his heart to us. This is his character to us. This is what he, this is how he loves us. So I'm really looking forward to bringing this message today because I feel it's possible that we can all get to know our Heavenly Father better than we do right now. I think it's possible that we can be closer to him than we are right now. And I just, I am really excited. But you know what? I don't want to go there without just praying because, because you don't need my words. Like no one in here needs to hear anything from Dave. No, no one at all. That's not going to change anything. I want, to, I want these words to land in a place in your life today, which is helpful. I want them to land in a place which is relevant. But that only happens when we involve God. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, God, that you are alive. We're so grateful that we don't worship a dead God or a dormant God or a God that's not interested. We want to let you know that we're so grateful that you are alive and that you love us. And God, I pray that as I use these normal everyday words today, I pray that you will, in the way that only you can, allow them to land in people's lives so that it's helpful, so that it's relevant. God, allow these words to meet people where they're at today. Jesus, I pray that I will get out of the way so that you can have your way. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Okay, so God's got lots of names. He, he, he's got lots of names which describe his nature and um, his character and his heart towards us. And um, I think it's really important that as a church, we understand 
God's names because it helps us to relate to him properly. Let me explain it like this. Uh, so my daughter, Elsie, doesn't relate to me by my name. She, she, that's not how she relates to me. She relates to me by the experiences that she's had with me. She, she relates to me by um, her ever-increasing understanding of my heart towards her. As she grows up, we, we, we do more and more life together, and that's how she relates to me, because I'm her dad. That's my role. I'm, I'm her father. And as a dad or a father, that name implies that I'm going to provide a roof over her head and something for food for her to eat, even though I may not cook it all. But, but you know, that's beside the point. We're getting onto dodgy ground there. Um, but, but I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to look after her when she needs something. And I'm actually going to sort of be there when she's in a time of crisis or when she's in a time of need, because that's my role. I'm her father. But I want to go way beyond that. I, I want her to know my heart because I can fulfill my role as a dad. I, I can do all those things. I can put a roof over her head and I can make sure that there's, there's stuff for her to eat and I can make sure that she's safe. But she may never know my heart. And I would feel terrible if someone came up to Elsie, like a stranger just came up to Elsie and said, hey, hey, Elsie, tell me about your dad. What's he like? And all she could say was, um, my dad's name is David Alexander and he was born in Liverpool and um, he helps lead the church. Like, if that was all she knew about me, I, I, would, be, I would be gutted. Like, that, that's my little girl. But, but she might say, um, she might go, oh, well, he's a good dad. But that's not really saying anything about me. That's not really knowing me. I would hope that if someone came up to my little girl and said, tell us something about your dad, that she might say something along the lines of, well, he's a patient man and he's good and he's kind and he's never really dumped on me like he's, he's, he's good with me and he looks after me and he takes care of me when I need some things and he's a really great uh, husband to, to my mummy and, and I, I'd hope that she would like expand a little bit. I want to hear some attributes of my character. I want to hear my nature. I want to hear what I'm really like because I've never had to go into Elsie's room as soon as she could like say a few words and go, now listen here, Elsie, I'm your dad and I'm really kind and I'm long-suffering and I'm really good and I'm, and I'm patient and I want you to know what I am and I want you to remember it. I never had to do that with my little girl. It's just been an always increasing demonstration of my heart with her and long may that continue as she grows up. So knowing God's character is really important to us. It's, it's important to us because we could easily fall into the relationship with God, where we sing about him on a Sunday and we raise our hands and we, and we sing our songs of praise and worship to him on a Sunday and then forget about him for the other six days of the week. Or we pray to him when we're in a crisis and then we don't talk to him about it. We just completely forget about him for the rest of the time. And it's really dangerous that if we fall into that category of, of knowing God, we really know 1% of what God is actually like and how much he wants to be involved and help us and love us and heal us and fix us and all the other great things that God wants to do for us in our world. <clears throat> he wants us to know his heart. That's what God wants at the bottom line. You know, when I was about 11, um, we, as many of you will, uh, we used to go on family holidays when we were able and we would uh, hire some kind of static caravan or some sort of cottage somewhere and we would like take ourselves off and 
Wales and Devon tended to be the kind of go-to destinations for our holidays as a kid. And I loved my holidays. I've got some great memories of family holidays as a child. And um, one particular of these holidays uh, <clears throat> happened when I, we were, we, we'd finished our day on the beach and we were, we were kind of done and we'd wander up into the town and we'd go and get some like fish and chips and we'd just sit on the harbour wall and we'd have them and it was, it was great. I've got some great memories. But this one particular night, we were walking through the town and we walked past the window of a fishing shop. Now, what I will say is fishing shops when I was 11 which was actually quite a long time ago. I know you don't believe it, but it was. They were a bit different to the way that they are now. They, they, they were in the window of this fishing shop was the biggest display of diving and hunting knives you have ever seen in your life. Like they, they were just, it was like John Rambo's closet in just the window of the shop. And I was just like, my eyes were like on stalks. I was like, have you seen these knives? They're like, they are amazing. Much more than just want to go into the shop, I wanted to have one. So I was like looking at these things. I was like salivating outside the window. I'm an 11-year-old boy. I was like, this is so cool. Not only did I manage to get into the shop against my mum and dad's wishes, they were like, why? Why, 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 would, why would you want something like that? Why? Like, that's ridiculous. What on earth would you want something like that for? But I got into the shop and not only did I manage to like get a hold of one of these things, I actually managed to get one. <laughs> my dad... Oh, I don't know what was going through his head. I paid for it with my own pocket money. My dad got me a nine-inch stainless steel diver's knife at the age of 11. Modern parenting, honestly. What on earth? If you want an explanation as to why I've ended up like the way I have, you know, that's enough said. So anyway, I've got this knife and it's massive. And I'm walking through, I've got this in a bag because I'm not actually too sure whether you're allowed to brandish a knife in back then. But anyway, so I've got this thing in a bag and... And I, we got in the car to go back to our holiday accommodation and I was under strict instructions not to get this thing out of its bag until, like, it came with, like, um, a leg-mounted a leg mounted sheath and everything. Like, it was a full-arm diver's knife. It was so cool. I felt like James Bond. So anyway, we get back in the car and we go back to our holiday accommodation and, and like, they said, don't you get that thing out until we can supervise you with it. They said to me, why do you want one anyway? Like, what's the point? I said... I want to sharpen some sticks. <laughs> of course I want to sharpen some sticks because as an 11-year-old boy, bushcraft is right up there on the list of things that you ought to be good at. You never know when you're going to need a sharp stick, do you? So I get back in the car. I've got this knife. It's in the, it's in the sheath. I've, of course, I completely ignored the, uh, the advice to not get it out while I was in the car. I mean, were they going to stop me? I had a knife. So anyway, <laughs> so I'm in the car. I've got this out. And it really didn't go very well for me because on the way out of the car, I stuck it right in my leg. Like I literally just stabbed myself right in the leg with this thing and it just buried itself right into my leg. So I get out, there's blood everywhere. This knife is like all in my leg and I'm pulling it out and I'm like, oh, it's all over the floor, it's all over the car. I was in such a state. I was in so much pain. I was in so much trouble. The knife was removed and my, and my stick sharpening days, they were a thing of the past. That was it. That was done. But um, we, had to do, we had to do a bit of a patch-up job on it, on the whole thing. And then we had to go to the hospital because it was like really buried in there. And they had to do what they called a deep clean. It was disgusting. They like had to open it all up and clean it all, swab it all out inside to get out any nastiness that should have been in there. And it was like, it was so painful. They bandaged my leg up. 
and I couldn't go in the sea for the whole of our family holiday because I had fear of making it worse. And all the photographs of that year is just me with this big bandage on my leg. It was just ridiculous. So it completely ruined my holiday. But I feel like today, some of us have come into church the same way that I went into that hospital. We've come in here broken. We've come in here with a wound, with, with a deep, with a deep, with a deep sore, with an issue. We've come in here hoping that something that we hear can make us feel better. We want someone to take away what shouldn't be there and replace it with something that's going to make us better, something that's going to heal us, something that's going to see us stronger when we leave than when we arrived. And I think there's some of us who are watching this maybe online at home or maybe you're here and you're listening. And it's something that happened. It's an event that happened that's caused this wound to be there. It's something that's gone on. It's an event that's occurred. Maybe it was something when you were young. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's something emotional. Maybe it's something that happened a long, long time ago. Maybe it's something from your past and it's left a trauma in your life. Maybe it's just something that's, that's left you feeling hurt. It's left you feeling bitter. It's left you feeling sour towards someone and it won't go away. And you might say today, I'm totally justified in the way I feel. I'm totally justified to feel bitter about this situation because you don't know what happened to me. So the bitterness just grows and it doesn't go away. You know, medical research into the results of bitterness on the human body found the following, that the effect on serotonin levels was significant. Serotonin does loads in your body, by the way. It helps learning, it aids memory, increases happiness, as well as regulating body temperature, promoting quality sleep, it even regulates hunger. Studies found that bitterness damaged serotonin levels in our bodies that much that people experienced increased anger, emotional pain, anxiety, and depression, all as a result of harboring bitterness. In fact, the long-term effects of bitterness in the body were seen to be an increase in stress hormones, a high heart rate, a high blood pressure, arterial tension, high blood glucose levels, and bad thyroid function. So make no mistake, if you have bitterness in your heart, in your life, towards someone or something over a long period of time, it's physically not good for your health. It really isn't good for us, and it's not supposed to be there. Now, I think that most bitterness among Christians, among churchgoers, can be traced back to some kind of disappointment that we have with God. Because lots of people would mention somebody else. They would mention a person. They would try and tie it to a person. But if you go way past that, if you go right back to the root, you end up with God. Because often it goes back to a time when you prayed about something and God didn't answer you, you think. Or it was late if he did. You're bitter because at some stage you've been overwhelmed. It could be a financial situation. It could be a divorce. It could be a death. 
You could have lost somebody close to you that you prayed about and, you, and, got, and, got, and, they, and they died anyway. It might be something that you're going through and you just say, how could God allow that to happen to me? I prayed, I had faith. I, I believe for this thing. How could, why would God not remove that thing from my life? If he's, if he's God and he says he can do anything, that's all I hear in church is that he can, he's the God of the impossible. Why would he allow that to happen to me? And there's a disappointment there at the root with God. It might be a childhood wound or a trauma back from when you were young. It could be something terrible that happened to you. Maybe you were taken advantage of as a child or you were misused or you were abandoned. It could have been that you were abused in some way and it's left a trauma in your life. It's marked you. It's left its stain on you and you cannot let that thing go. You cannot get over it for whatever the reason. You know, I used to work with a guy who um, hated Christmas, like hated Christmas, wouldn't join in with the cards, wouldn't come on the Christmas do, wouldn't buy any presents, wouldn't want to talk about it, wouldn't want to celebrate it. Because back when he was a kid, his dad walked out on their family over Christmas and it left a mark on him. And to this day, he still suffered and he still wouldn't join in. And there's so many today who are here or watching this online and you've got a mark on you from something that happened back when you were in your childhood. There's so many reasons why we can have bitterness in our lives. And if we allow it to stay, if we allow it to make a home there, then things aren't going to go well for us. Your mind may already have gone to that thing. It probably has that's caused you to feel the way that you feel. That situation, that occurrence, that thing that happened to you and your mind cannot let that thing go. And it's tiring the way that you feel. It's wearing you out. You want it gone, but you don't know how to get over the bitterness and the feelings of resentment that you feel. Did you know you can leave this place today free? You can leave this place today free of that thing because by the power of Jesus, it says you don't have to carry that thing anymore. You get to walk from here completely and utterly free of all those feelings. In the same way that those medical staff in the hospital did a deep clean on my leg, our loving heavenly father can clean your heart. He can heal your heart. He can mend your broken heart. And you can leave this place today totally and utterly free. And it's true and it can happen. Because today, I want to introduce to us the last of our Jehovah words. I want to speak to us about Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Emma explained to us a couple of weeks ago that when we see the word Jehovah something, when we see the name Jehovah something, and it's written in that way, she explained to us that Jehovah obviously is God and, and Jehovah something means God revealed. So when we see Jehovah, obviously that's God, and the word Rapha is the Hebrew word to restore or to heal. So when we say Jehovah Rapha, what we talk about is the God who restores and heals. And today, I want to have a look at answering this question. How do we heal from our bitterness? How do we heal from this thing in our life that's so, so bad for us? 
This thing that will take our health down, this thing that will take our mood down, this thing that will take our relationships down, this thing that given long enough will take us down. How do we heal from it? And is that even possible? Is God in the business of healing our bitterness? Well, I think the really encouraging news for us all today is that we aren't the only ones in history to suffer with bitterness. I think that it's great news for us, in fact, that even the Israelites, God's chosen people who we can read about all over the Bible, they also struggled big time with bitterness. And um, God gave them some instructions to follow. He gave them some to-dos on their list. And and those things were going to help them get free of it. It was going to help them move on from it. And I think it would be a great thing if we could have a little look through some scripture and just find out what the things were that he told them to do and the things that he told Moses to do in relation to them and find out some of the keys that we can use to position ourselves in a place where God can actually remove and heal our bitterness that we feel about whatever it is. So we're going to jump in and we're going to have a little look at some scripture. Um, But just before we go there, I just want to give you some context as to where we are going to join this story because there's a lot going on and uh, I'm just going to very quickly blast through, catch us up to where we are and we're going to dive in and we're going to have a read. So the whole nation of Israel, all the people of Israel were all slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh, like an entire nation of people. It'd be like, it'd be like, one of the European nations all living in England and they're all our slaves. It's that kind of a deal. It's just crazy. So they're all slaves under Pharaoh. Moses was tasked by God to go in and speak to Pharaoh about the removal of all of the Israelites. He he was to go and negotiate for their freedom and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. The only issue was Pharaoh said no. So Moses then comes away. He goes, he said no. So he goes, go back and tell him that I'm going to send a series of crazy plagues on the land if he doesn't let him go. So he goes back and he says, there's all these plagues coming. This could get really bad for you. God says he's going to do all this stuff. Pharaoh still says no. So God sends all these plagues on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. He turned all the blood to water. He sent plagues of frogs, lice, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and killed all the firstborn children. He'd have thought by like number three on that list, Pharaoh would be like, all right, enough, they can go. But he went through like 75 plagues to get there. So basically God did all these crazy miracles and sent all these massive plagues on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let them go. After which Pharaoh is begging them to go. He's like, please let me pack your bags. I'll get you to the door. I'll get you all out there. They all leave then Pharaoh absolutely has a backtrack in his mind, gets really angry and sends the entire Israelite, uh, the entire um, Egyptian army after them to kill them. But as they're running away, God guides them in the day with a pillar of smoke and he guides them at night with a pillar of fire to show them where to go. And eventually all the Israelites end up at the edge of the land. So they've got the sea on one side and they've got the Egyptian army pursuing them on the other side. And God does this ridiculously big miracle and he parts the sea, they're like the two huge walls of water. And all the Israelites walk across the sea on dry ground. And then as they turn around to see all the the, uh, army coming after them, all the water falls back in and they see all their enemies wiped out completely, like utterly destroyed. Another massive miracle. So what I want to know is how can these people who are so utterly blessed, who've just seen all this insane stuff, 
How can they possibly be bitter about anything? Like, they're the most blessed people on the face of the planet, right? Like, they've just come out of an absolute nightmare, and now they've just seen all their enemies destroyed, and they're free. So what have they got to be bitter about? Well, let's see what happens. So we're going to jump in. Exodus 15, starting at uh, verse 22. So um, then Moses uh, led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. Let's just press pause there. They've seen these crazy miracles. They've seen all this mad stuff go on. They've been brought from slavery into freedom. They're like, they're now they're free people. They've gone for three days in the desert without drinking water. When, that's a long time, three days without water. When, verse 23, they came to Mara, but they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So they arrive at this place which has lots of water, but the water is bad, so they can't drink it. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we going to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And Moses threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. And there the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, If you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So they're free. They've gone three days in the desert without finding water. They find some, they can't drink it because it's bitter, which is why the place is called Mara, because Mara means bitter. Then we've got Moses, who's being moaned at by an entire nation full of people going, we can't drink this water, we're all going to die. And they're stressed, and he's stressed, and everyone's stressed, and then he has this cried out to God moment, and he's like, what am I going to do? And God goes, get that wood, through the wood and the water, and everything's going to be fine. And he throws the wood in the water, and God heals the bitter water, making it clean. Those verses are an illustration of what God can and will do in our lives with our bitterness if we allow him to. And today I've just got three short points that I've pulled out of this story which are going to help put us in the right place when we come to God with our bitterness that we want healed. And the first thing is this. We've got to pursue the maker, not the miracle. We have to pursue the maker not the miracle. If we want our bitter heart healed, we have to understand that it's going to come as a result of a life that pursues God. What does that look like? Well, we've got to listen to him. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to listen to the words he says. We've got to read the words he says in the Bible. We've got to speak to him. That's what it looks like when you pursue someone. You talk to them. You follow them. You read about them. You pursue that thing. You pursue that person. We've got to read the Bible, we've got, to, we've got to pray, we've got to listen to what the voice of God and the guidance that he gives us. Verse 28 tells us, he says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, that's the instruction. Listen carefully to the Lord your God. Do what is right in his eyes. That's what pursuing God looks like. It, it, it means listening carefully to his words and pursuing him. We aren't told anywhere that you get freedom from anything or or get closer to God at all by seeing miracles. We aren't told that. There's nothing in the Bible that says 
we get close to God and we learn his heart for us by seeing the miracles he's done. We'll never get close to him by seeing miracles. It's impossible to learn the character and the heart of God solely by seeing the miracles that he's done. The Israelites proved it. Look, all the stuff that has just happened, all the stuff they've just seen, released from slavery, walked across the sea on dry ground, seen all the miracles get washed away. And any signs of faith in God, the second they can't find a drink, all vanish. They've got no sign of any faith in him or any knowledge of who he is. They, they don't, completely don't know in the face of all the miracles. They saw everything and it happened right in front of them and they forgot. They completely forgot. Not one of them said, should we pray about this? Not one of them said, he's the God of the impossible, you know. He, he can do anything. Not, not one of them said any of those things. None of that. All we, we, all we read is they're grumbling and they're moaning and they're complaining and they're stressing out because seeing the miracles alone wasn't enough. But I actually think that the bitterness in the Israelites started way before this water scenario, this water saga that happened. I actually think that the bitterness in their heart started way earlier. And if you actually look back, we haven't got time to go there now, but Exodus 4.31 talks about when Moses first introduced himself to to Pharaoh and he first went to actually see him and, and talk to him about the release. What happened is he went into this meeting with Pharaoh But instead of finding freedom for the Israelites, what actually happened was that the whip of the slave master came down on their back so hard because Moses went there and Moses had this chat. They got beaten so badly. They got told so much stuff. They got got ridden so badly by the Egyptians that when Moses came out of his meeting with Pharaoh, the Israelites looked at him and they said, you are a messenger from God and God has let us down. There was a disappointment there with God from the very first second, because before that, it actually says that when they heard, that when the Israelites heard that God had seen their plight and he'd seen the fact that they were slaves, it does say that they bowed down and worshipped. So at that point, they were in a good space. They were in a good time. But then when Moses came and had that first chat and they got treated harshly by their Egyptian masters, that's when I think the bitterness started. And, 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 and they said, um, lost my place. And they said, uh, instead of finding freedom, We've now been punished by our Egyptian masters and God's let us down. And at that point, they were disappointed in who he was. In spite of all the miracles they'd seen, they didn't know him. They didn't know his heart. They didn't know his character. They didn't know who he was and they didn't know his heart for them. You know, there's people right now who are so desperate to find some release from what they're going through in their hearts and in their minds and the stresses and the strains that they carry and their bitterness, that they're willing to try crystals, they're willing to try alternative therapies, they're willing to try just about anything else that's available on the face of the planet to go and try and find some freedom for their minds. There's also people running around all over the world trying to see signs and wonders and miracles in different churches and different places that call themselves churches. And all of the time, they're trying to draw themselves closer to God. Well, maybe what they don't know is you don't get to know God like that. You don't get to know God by seeing miracles. You don't get to know his heart. You don't get to learn his character. You don't draw close to him just by seeing those miracles. 
We need to understand, church, that God draws close to us in our crisis. He comes close to us and he reveals his heart for us and he lets us into his father heart and he draws close and he walks alongside and he's an arm around your shoulder in your crisis and he reveals himself to us when he meets us and we humble ourselves before him in our trial. You know, you wonder... um, why God would deliver the Israelites from all this terrible slavery that they were part of and then lead them through all those miracles and take them directly to bitter water. Like he was guiding them. Why would he take them from there and lead them? And the first place he takes them in their freedom is bitter water. I think he was trying to show them what was in their hearts. I think he was trying to build his church, his new church with his people. And he couldn't do it with the bitterness that was in their hearts. So he took them straight to bitter water and he made a mirror and he said, you see that? That's what's inside your heart. That's what's living in you. And this is why God wants to teach us and the Israelites these points. We've got to pursue the maker and not the miracle. We've also got to understand that God's character is revealed through crisis. His character is revealed through crisis If we're going to let go of our bitterness and allow Jehovah Rapha to heal us, then first we need to remember that it's when we go through crisis that it's when we go through crisis that we learn the character and the heart of God. It's when we go through hard times. It's when we go through the pinch seasons, the bad days, the not great days. It's when we go through all those things that the heart of God is revealed to every single one of us. Think about it. When does anyone ask for healing when something wasn't broken? You don't go to the doctor just to let him know that you're well. You don't book in and turn up and go, I am absolutely fine. And he's going to be thrilled about it. He's going to be like, okay, see you later. You you, you only go to the physician when you've got a problem. You only go there when when something's broken. In the same way, we've heard about the same thing all the way through this series. We don't need Jehovah Shalom, God's peace, if there's never any trouble. We, We don't need Jehovah Jireh, God to provide, if we never have any needs. We've got no need of God when everything's good in our lives. Throughout this whole God is series, we've seen the same thing, that the character and the heart and the, and, and, the, and the sense of God's closeness is revealed to us through our trial. Jehovah Nissi was a name that, God gave, that Moses uh, gave to God when Moses understood that God had watched over him in a battle. He said, Jehovah Nissi was with me. He was a banner over me in my crisis. Jehovah Jireh was the name that Abraham gave to God when God asked him to, he tested his faith by asking him to sacrifice his only son and only at the point where he saw he was willing to go through with it when he, had, he literally had him there ready to kill him that God stopped him and showed him a ram. So, so Abraham said that um, Jehovah Jireh was there. The Lord provided in my crisis when I was about to kill my son. Jehovah Shalom was a name that Jesus spoke about himself because he lived here for 30 years, remember? He knows that it's really hard and he knows that it's tough and he knows we have bad days and he wanted to leave us with the gift of peace through our bad days, through our crisis days because he wants to draw close to us in our crisis. And Jehovah Rapha is the same. This is the name revealed to God and the Israelites when they were in the desert with no water to drink. God made the water clean and he revealed, his, he revealed his character. He revealed his heart to them. And he said, my name is Jehovah Rapha. 
and I am the God who heals. And it happened in their crisis. But it didn't change the fact that they were bitter at God to begin with. It didn't change the fact, the fact that he revealed his character to them didn't change the fact that they did have a bitterness there. And church, there's some of you listening to me right now, and it's there. You don't want to name it, but it's in there. You've got a wound. You've got a hurt. You've got something in your life, and you are bitter. And I don't care who all the people are that you're necessarily pointing at, because at the root, when you go further back than that, the problem is with God. You're aiming it at God, and you're going, why did God let that person do that to me? Why would God allow that to happen to me? If God is God, why would God let me go through that at the very back of the issue? And you think God let you down. You think he failed you. But what God did for the Israelites is exactly what he'll do for us today. It's exactly the same. He came to them. He revealed his character to them. And he healed the water in front of them. He revealed his heart, which is to repair and to restore and to heal because everything he touches repairs and restores and heals and increases and is made new. And everything he, everything he looks at, he wins. It's impossible for him to lose. So if you bring a bad situation before him and he gets in contact with that, you know what happens? It vanishes. It completely and utterly vanishes into his love, into his power, into his grace, because he is the God that heals. And you need to know this today. You can leave this place free. You can walk out of here lighter than air with the weight of everything that you brought in, the weight of all the stuff that I've mentioned lifted right off you. And he wants to do it today. All you have to do is ask Jehovah Rapha to heal you in your crisis. And lastly today, uh, we need to remember that we can always trust in his power. We can always trust in his power. Easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> so often we read accounts like we've read today of um, things that, situations that have happened that looks like all was lost and all was failing and all the people were going to die because there was no water for them to drink. And so often we read all these accounts in the Bible only to find out that God was in control the entire time. And what happens is we get this, this revelation at the end of the story that no matter what was going on back here, no matter how hopeless the battle seemed or how hopeless the situation was or how hopeless the person was, God was always in control. He always had the measure of the situation. He was always orchestrating the situation. He was working the whole thing out for the glory of his name. And it's so easy for us to moan and groan and complain sometimes only to be a bit embarrassed by God's goodness to us. We find it so easy to moan and complain about stuff and get bitter only to get a bit like, oh, God, if I'd only trusted you. God, if I'd only gone there, if I'd only trusted you, if I'd only believed in you. Of course you had it all figured out. I actually know how that feels. Um, I know how it feels to have no other option other than to trust in his power. I, I know how that feels. 
Um, most of you will know at least a little bit of Vicky's and my story. Um, <clears throat> but for those of you who don't, uh, we've been married a number of years and we've gone for four years trying for a baby <clears throat> with all of the tests imaginable. Like under some of the best doctors in the country, we'd had all the tests. And we got told that the only way you're going to have children is going to be through IVF, which was a bit of a shock to us because we always assumed IVF was a last resort, but we didn't have any intrinsic problem with it. But, you know, we always assumed there was other stuff to try first. Well, we had a round of IVF and it failed. So to us, our only medical option was done. It was failed. And we um, <clears throat> getting ourselves to the place, it was really hard, and we were getting ourselves to the place where we were ready to almost think about going again and we were going to go back to the hospital. And then God did a miracle and we had our little girl, Elsie, who's in powerhouse and she's perfect and she's healthy and she's whole and she's incredible. And God made the whole thing happen without any medical intervention whatsoever. She is our miracle baby and we called her Elsie because it means God's promise. And she's in there now and she's having a great time. About three years had gone by and we'd well started talking about um, having another child. We started talking about having a sibling for her. So Vicky raises the subject this one time and she sort of says, we're probably going to need IVF again. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I know IVF works for some people, but it's a really hard process and, and it's lovely that it works for some. But for us, in my experience, it failed 100% of the times we tried it. And I said, I've got no faith in IVF. I've got no faith in it because it didn't work for me. The only thing I've got faith in is God. He's the only thing that's ever worked. You try saying that to a woman who wants a baby and see how that works out for you. That didn't go down well at all. So this one day, it all boiled over and we ended up in a heated marital discussion slash row. And... Um, she was saying, I want IVF. And I was saying, I just, I'm not feeling it, you know, babe. I'm really not. And it's going to cost a bomb and it's going to be all of our money and blah, blah, blah. I just got no faith in it. And she was so upset. She was so upset. And then I've got the whole like bad person, bad husband, dad guilt thing going on. I'm just like, oh, I'm the worst person ever. Why shouldn't I just go and get a loan and go and do this thing? And, and I just, I just, exploded that God I was just like you know you can do this you did this the last time you've already done the miracle you've already, you've already I've got a miracle walking around in powerhouse like you know you can do it why do you not why do you not give us this thing what why you put my wife through this can you see what this is doing to my family can you see what this is doing to me we're at odds with each other you know you can fix this why won't you fix this and on and on and on I went and then I just went in Jesus name amen that's how you finish a prayer and I was just like leave that with you one week later Vicky wakes up not feeling well at all and because um, <clears throat> it turns out that the whole time I was ranting at God and shouting at him and waving my finger at him he'd already answered because Vicky was pregnant <laughs> and baby number two arrives in December and we're so blessed and we're so excited and I'm so humbled by his goodness to me and I'm kind of like going back and oh by the way sorry about all that that I said like a week ago and thanks so much for the whole you know baby thing and um, 
just like what happened in verse 25, we read that Moses cried out to the Lord in verse 25 when the whole nation of Israel were at his ear. What are we going to drink? We're all going to die. He goes, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? In the same way, I had a cried out to the Lord-ish type moment and I had to come to the place where I would trust in his power and I just believe in his ability to do the impossible. And it might be the same today for you. It might be the same today with your bitterness because it's impossible for you. And I would just say, time, time, is, time is long gone. I would just say that, look, today you've got a choice. So I would just ask you the question and say, are you ready to let go of your bitterness? Because if the answer to that question is yes, then in a minute, we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that Jehovah Rapha is going to show up in his power and he's going to show up in his might and he's going to display to us his majesty and he's going to move in this place. And as we pursue him in just a minute, we're going to believe that he's going to reveal himself to us in our crisis. And we're going to understand that he's going to heal some people here today by his power. Church, time is long gone. Would you stand with me while we pray and the band are going to come and we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we stand in front of you today, God, right now in this moment, and we are in awe of who you are. God, we right-size you. You are Alpha and Omega. You are beginning and the end. You are everything to our everything. You say about yourself in your word, I am. I am whatever you need me to be in that moment. I am, I am whatever you need me to be to stand in the gap. You're our healer. You're our provider. You're our peace. You're our, you're our everything, God. You're our protection. You're our providence. You do everything for us. And God, as we hold those issues in front of you now, ready to let go of our bitterness. Lord, we want to ask you to forgive our hearts. We want to ask you in your power to show up because God, this is us pursuing you right now. And you say that when we look, you are found by us. So Holy Spirit, we ask you that for all those people who are here right now, who are harboring bitterness in their lives, that Jehovah Rapha would be found by them to be true. Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you accept our bitterness? Would you take it away? Would you remove it? Would you lift it out? Would you fill the void it leaves with your love, with your peace, with your kindness, with your grace. We give it to you now. We leave it at the foot of the cross and we choose to walk away. We want you to be real. We want you to take it away. And we thank you, God, that we can pray to a living God who hears us and who loves us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. And you know, throughout this God is series, <clears throat> We've heard about all these names of God. 
Rapha, healer, Jireh, provider, all of these names of God. And this week, I've been aware that every single name is Jesus. He's wrapped up in all those names because everything, it's all Jesus. And you might go, well, that's great. I, 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 need, to, I need to ask you, do you know him? Do you know, have you ever been introduced to him? Because if you haven't, I'm going to pray one more prayer. And if that's you and you don't know Jesus, you need to get to know Jesus. He's the one who you need to get to know. You might go, this all sounds great. This all sounds amazing. I don't even know him. Excellent. You know what? We're all going to pray. One final prayer. The band are going to come. We're going to worship out. But enjoying this prayer, if this is you and you don't know him, just repeat this prayer after me in your heart and you're going to start the best days of your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, God. I come to you today. I'm going to make this personal between me and you, Jesus. I don't know you, but I want to. Holy Spirit, would you remove anything from me and forgive me of anything that I've done wrong through my life? I want you, Jesus, to come and live in my life now. I want you to make your home in me because from now until the day that I meet you again, I want to live as a Christian. I want to live for you and all of Liverpool One Church said in one voice, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.